My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. Today, my guest is Bennett Hunter, also known as the Canadian Libertarian. Bennett and I got introduced through Tim Moen, and I was very grateful to be invited onto Bennett's podcast. He has been doing podcasting for quite a few years now as the Canadian Libertarian. Him and I discuss what led him to be that persona, both his libertarian political views and why he would put himself out there in the public eye. It's very interesting to hear about his story, although it's quite an unfortunate one. And it's also interesting to hear his perspective on how he keeps his sanity while you know putting himself in the public eye. I think he's a good mentor to look to in terms of how you can be certain to keep yourself while you know putting yourself out there. We also discuss this interesting phenomenon where people like him and I get labeled as non-compassionate and non-empathetic, and yet of all of the people I feel most safe with, most comfortable talking to openly about my fears, my anxieties, and the things I think about generally are him and Tim and other people who many people would label, you know, far right potentially. So it's a really interesting conversation and I definitely encourage you to check out his channels generally. They'll be linked to in the notes. Let me know if you like this kind of conversation or if you prefer ones that are more kind of explicitly personal in nature. As always, please subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcasting app and consider supporting the show at thesafespace.ca. How's it going? Excellent. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing pretty well. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think it's, I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. Actually, should I, I, I know it's usually David. Should I call you Dave or David? Would you prefer one or the other? I prefer David. Yeah, I go okay, by David. David. Okay, right on, David. Right. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so for those of my viewers who don't know, you're the Canadian libertarian. You're a, you're a podcaster, YouTube personality. Why don't you tell me a bit more about uh, what what your what you do, right? Well, um, historically, as as a person, like outside of you know politics, philosophy, and all this stuff, I I was basically a guy that was born and raised in a typical blue blue collar household on the east coast in New Brunswick. And uh, my parents, because it's it's been quite a long running thing where people in on the east coast and Atlantic provinces has has had a lot of job opportunities destroyed, a lot of uh, resource jobs have no longer around. So. They, just like most people in, in Atlantic provinces, have traveled. They traveled west to seek occupations and jobs, and it, they landed in Ontario. And actually, that's where I met my wife. I, I lived there for a substantial portion of time. Like I say, I met my wife. She lived in the same apartment building that we lived in while we were there. And then we had our own kids, and we ended up um, deciding to move back to New Brunswick. And I chose, I was into construction for most of my life in my younger years, uh, just basically because that was seemingly what, well, it was most of the men in my family. Um, that's the kind of careers they went into. So more, more or less, I, uh, and I didn't care much for school. Actually, I should mention that I quit school at 15. I didn't care much for the way school for me, it mm -hmm. just was never structured. And it wasn't because I wasn't, I didn't have the skills. Actually, I did really well early on in my, in my, uh, early years of education. It's just, is just one of those things. It's just, you know, that environment is good for some people, but not everyone. And I just happened to be one of those people that wasn't. So I ended up quitting school when I was 15. And actually, my, my stepfather at the time took me in and, uh, and took me to his place that he worked in a lumberyard where he was the foreman. And that's where I started out. I actually had to get them to sign the, uh, 
the little thing because I was only 15 at the time. So you have to sign something if you're under 16 for you to go to work. So I went into construction and you know what? I actually liked it, liked it because there's, there's just a little something about it. now as a kid, you're a little bit, you know, strange situations, strange, lots of big machines, heavy equipment and stuff. But it was, it was a great thing because it was, first of all, uh, the type of guys that work in these places in these kinds of jobs are like, they work hard, they play hard, a lot of jokes, a lot of fun, a lot of light rules minimal <laughs> which was it, it just suited my personality entirely so i i kind of uh, adopted this mentality i'm going to kind of stay in this kind of field even though i had you know aspirations internal aspirations to maybe do other things but i thought you know i'm going to stick with this the pay was actually fairly decent especially for a young guy right mm-hmm. and uh so i so i got into the construction now once uh, me and my wife we met and we decided to move back to new brunswick because in the big city there was at the time, we lived in Scarborough, the East End of Toronto, and it was kind of the ghetto-y area because it was for low, low-income low people. Mm-hmm. And uh, the crimes, crime rates were pretty high. We had our kids for the first few years. We were still in Ontario. But the minute I started seeing, like uh, my wife mentioned one time, she, she went to take the kids to, to school in the morning. And at the playground, there was all these needles. I mean, when you start seeing right. stuff like that and hearing stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I, you know, I, I could put up with a lot, but no. I'm not, I don't want my kids going to schools where there's these freaking needles, needles laying on the ground. So I said, you know what, let's, let's move back to New Brunswick, you know, where I was born and raised. It's, it's a pretty good place. It's got a good environment. And at the time, uh, there was people in my family that were truck drivers. And, you know, truck driving was actually one of the few careers. And I've always enjoyed driving. That's another thing I will point out. I've always been into driving. I drove my first car when I was 10 years old. It was a 19, what was it, a 79 Civic, I think it was. A rent-a-wreck, they called it. And I was, I had to sit on the edge of the seat. You know, I had to, it was really, but I really loved driving. So yeah. when the concept or the prospect of, of being able to live back in my home province in a place that has very few job opportunities... But truck driving, because it travels with you as a job, you can do that anywhere. So I, so that's what we did. Me and the wife, we basically come back. We got a, we got a house. We ended up, well, t- took us a couple of years before we got the house, but I wouldn't get into driving truck. And just like most people, I think, especially from my demographic, Gen Xers, you know, we, we just, it was just a thing. You know, you'd put your nose to the grindstone, you do what you have to do. And, and another thing I'll just point out while I'm talking here, and this might seem like I'm kind of going on a little bit off track, but. I just, it's one, it's one of the things that stood out to me as a kid is most of the people of my parents' group, like the, the boomers, it was always seemed to be talked about, or to, I always told, never talk about religion or politics, seemed to be a, a major emphasis from the older people that were the people that I looked up to, right? It's just, you never discuss. So I kind of went, that's how I lived most of my life. You don't pay attention to that stuff. You don't talk about, you just go do your thing. Unfortunately, what happens is these things, yeah, you don't have to pay attention to politics or religion. The problem is they're, they're going to pay attention to you, in particular, these days, politics. So while I was avoiding or ignoring politics, well, politics was catching up to me, and it got to the point where I'll fast forward to driving a truck, long-haul truck driver, living on the East Coast in New Brunswick, out in the middle of the woods, I mean like an hour from the closest city. Yeah, there's no buses that travel. There's no tax. Well, I mean, taxi would cost you if literally an arm and a leg, probably. But uh, like I say, I, I, when I moved back here, the one thing you do uh, in these places is off-road recreation. So in the summertime, you have ATVs, motorcycles, mm-hmm. right? In the wintertime, it's snowmobile. And it's basically that is the biggest part because there's not a whole lot to do. Yeah in these places so that's a big thing so i get into all that stuff and being someone that really enjoys driving anyways it was perfectly conducive with my type of uh, personality anyway so i got into like atvs and motorcycles 
Now, I'm not the type of person, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a responsible adult. I've always been. Like I say, I've raised two kids. Me and my wife raised our, raised our two sons. One's almost 30 already. He's 29 at 25. So we started very young, but we were responsible parents. We did the right thing. And I've always been a fairly responsible uh, guy anyways. So I would never uh, like drink and drive my like a personal vehicle or, or a truck or anything. But when you're out on the trails, a lot of people, actually, it's not even that exceptionally uh, or or outside the norm, actually, because if you ever lived in any of these places, you realize when people are out in the trails, it's kind of normal that they pack a few beers. Some yeah. guys are into the hard stuff or whatever that they mix with drinks. You go into camps, hang out with people, because that's the other thing in these places. There's all kinds of camps back there that people have. So, so you you know, it's 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 a typical thing. Now, being a long-haul truck driver, and of course, I never really paid attention to all the different rules. I knew, like, drinking and driving, impaired driving was illegal, but as someone that, like I say, the only time I ever had a few beer, and it was never to the like to the point where I was like, oh, I just couldn't handle my machine. I would actually be rocking wheelies at like 80 mile an hour. I'm one of those guys <laughs> that yeah. that can basically do amazing stunts that most people just can't even do, no matter what they ch- try. So I never had no no issues. I never had any accidents. But like I say, politics, laws, all that caught up to me to one day. Well, here I am getting charged on the trail because they look for trail passes and permits and all this stuff now, which you never used to have. But now that they have all these requirements, now there's police out on the trails, where, which, once again, historically, you would have never seen such a thing, right? The only time a, a cop would have been out on the trail is if they were picking up a dead deer, right? Or, no, that would actually be the Department of Natural Resources. So it wouldn't have even been the cop. But like I say, I ended up getting charged and paired. I had, I think, vaguely heard of other people mention mandatory minimum sentencing, but I was completely unaware and 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 awestruck at just how not only can they charge you with these mandatory minimum sentences, which as far as I'm concerned is completely unconstitutional because it, it should be based on the facts, the merits, and, and everything that's brought up about your personal case. And if there's no victim, there's no crime as far as I'm concerned. So to me, I didn't commit a crime. What are you talking about? I'm not, how can you suggest that I'm a criminal? I didn't commit a crime. There was no victim. But once again, politics, the law, all these things caught up to me. And because of the mandatory minimum sentence and the fact that I had to lose my, well, that's the thing. When you're charged initially, you lose your job right then and there. Well, your license, I should say. And when your job requires license as a truck driver, you're losing your job that day. And I was actually shocked by that too. Because I was like, okay, well, if you're getting in charged with impaired, surely the, the punishment comes after you've been convicted, right? No, actually, you get more of that after the fact. But once again, I lost it for three months automatically. So I had to call up my employer. I had a delivery, uh, I think it was in Alabama on Tuesday. I, I was supposed to leave on Sunday. I called up my employer. Sorry, Herman, I, I just can't take the load. I explained the situation. So basically, and he felt terrible at losing me. I was one of his better drivers. But anyways, I went through the whole process rather than dragging this out for too long. I went through the whole process. It still ended up being convicted, which to me, I, like I said, I won't even go through the whole thing with that. But I ended up being convicted. And even the judge said, Sorry, Mr. Hunter, but due to mandatory minimum sentencing, you know, blah, blah, blah. But so he even knew, he knew. He was, he was basically sentencing me to not just a minor inconvenience. He knew what he was doing. It was going to wreak havoc and cause a lot of hell in my life. And like I was explaining, even, even throughout the whole trial and everything, it's like my wife and my kids, because at the time, both of my sons were still in their teens. It's like, it, this is going to be devastating, not just for me, but it's going to be massively devastating for my wife and my kids. But what got me is it wasn't just the fact that there was these mandatory minimum sentences. It wasn't just the fact that there was a judge or there are judges 
who will convict people based on these things that he should know himself is completely unconstitutional. And how I know that's true, because anytime anyone's taken a mandatory minimum sentencing charge to all the way up to the Supreme Court, they have been overthrown because they've done that for gun uh, charges in Canada and the Supreme Court overthrown them. But apparently if for impaired, I guess the people with money and connections, they get off with it anyway. So I guess no right. one has actually taken it all the way to be challenged at the Supreme Court. And I'm of minimal means, so I sure as heck couldn't do it. But anyways, like I say, so it caused all this. And, and the part that stu uh, stood out to me, it wasn't just the fact that the crown prosecutor was more than willing to, you know, to lay that kind of punishment at my feet or the judge for that matter. It was the whole time. And I even appealed the, 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 the decision, by the way, because I thought, okay, one level, no. Because I just could not convince myself. I, I still believed as the young man that I lived in this free country of Canada where you, you don't get treated like this is the kind of stuff that you hear in these, you know, tin pot dictatorships or third world countries you hear of this stuff. So I thought, no, it's, this is going to be remedied at some point in time. But no, nope, and it didn't matter if you were talking to the, the, the lowly court clerk. The part that stuck to me the most was this, this uh, almost, and I, I, I use the terminology sociopath, but basically everyone you talk to within these, that's all the way, like I say, all the way from the top, all the way down to the clerk, or, or anyone else, any lawyers, or, or I even went to the upper, uh, the New Brunswick, what's it called? Um, the Law Society of New Brunswick, sorry, it's called. I went every, I tried everything. And all I got from every one of the people that I talked with was a, a look at me as if I was like a rapist, more or less, because I mentioned that I was charged with impaired. And that's the problem that I found is with the, the propaganda campaign by Mothers Against Drunk Driving over the, all these decades, it has done a powerful job at, at turning the Canadian population and, and to believe in that if someone is charged with impaired driving that like I'm that guy that's going to kill your family of four right mm -hmm. and that was it struck me because people had no there was no empathy there was no compassion nobody gave a shit about what was going to happen to me my wife or my kids but there was this look on their faces or sometimes it was just a blank where either they had looked like they like were complete sociopaths and lacked empathy or maybe it was that they were internalizing, and I could see it, that they just had this, I could see this image of me causing harm to a, a poor, innocent family of four. But for whatever reason, no matter what I did, no matter who I talked to, I was going to be, I was going to have my life destroyed, and there wasn't one person that was going to be within this system that was going to you know, say, okay, this, okay, we don't need to go this far. We don't need to destroy this man's livelihood, his career, right? This is not necessary. And once that happened to me, I mean, I, it was just, it was full onward. Okay. So if it can happen to me, because like I say, it'd be different if I knew that, okay, I, you know, I've been a, been a criminal most of my life. I've gotten away with a lot of stuff. And whoo, this time I finally, if that, I might be able to think, okay, okay, whatever. Right. But knowing my history, my background, knowing that I actually did the right thing most of the years when a lot of people that I knew did the wrong thing. It's like, okay, if it gets to the point where now me, me, I can be the guy that now I'm the guy that gets fucked up. Now I'm the criminal. Now my life to be destroyed. I knew that that can happen to a lot of people. And since then I've talked, I've reached out and talked to a tremendous amount of people who've gone through that same kind of hell themselves. And I'll tell you, it can be, it can be brutal. And I, like I said, I wouldn't even go into trying to explain it. I mean, it would be a, a novel all on its own. Cause like I say, that, that happened. My conviction date was uh, July, 2012. Uh, and because of that, me and my wife, we had to basically leave our home. 
We had no choice at that time because there was no way for me to be gainfully employed. We had, at that time, we had mortgage, we had car payments. So we just packed up our cars, went back to Ontario, where at least places you could find local jobs where you could get on the bus or you could get uh, work, travel with other people to work. There was at least opportunities and I was not going to lose out everything. So we left our home, went, went out west and, and basically because we'd had to pay to live there and try to sustain everything back here, I was trapped. I couldn't, I couldn't do any, I couldn't get back into heaven, any kind of life other than just trying to be able to keep our heads above water. And now eight years later, I'm finally back here in New Brunswick, but only because the roof was falling off of my house and we had to borrow money from a family member and the people that were in it last basically almost destroyed it because I tried renting it to supplement and so not only did I lose my job, my career, but my house was basically destroyed. I had my ATV that was rare and very, uh, very powerful and, and worth a few bucks for sure, stolen out of my garage. It's been just like I say, non <laughs> nonstop hell. And to me, it's anything when, when stuff like that happens, I, I do have not just, you know, care about and concern myself, but I have, like I say, I have two sons and I, and I have empathy for other people that have gone through this situation. So to me, it's like, I got to do whatever I can and it's almost therapeutic for me to talk about these things, right? So I, I thought, I, I'm actually doing a whole lot of things by starting talking. And I didn't start it with a YouTube channel. I started it with Facebook page, basically, for the mm -hmm. most part. And just talking about a lot of stuff. And then, of course, with the whole Ron Paul, the libertarian thing came with just watching uh, U.S., you know, the elections, 2008, 2012. I heard of this Ron Paul guy anyway and stuff. But I got, obviously, perked up my ears when you're talking about liberty and, and corrupt police forces. And so all this stuff perked up my ears and then I, I as with anyone well if you're curious and inquisitive and, and you really are engaged and wanting to learn more about this stuff well just like with every uh, venture endeavor I've ever undertaken I, I go in 110 percent that's just who I am I'm like that is why I'm the guy that'll do the the what, meal, wheel at 80 mile an hour I'm also the guy if you need someone to change a bulb on a thousand foot <laughs> Uh, uh, tower, I'm the guy for you. So I, so I have that little bit where I, you know, well, can be a little bit excessive at times, but it's, it's usually proven to be beneficial. Usually I'm very proficient and good at the things I do, but apparently that uh, what it, it did, did for me for this is caused me to cause me to go down this entire uh, philosophical rabbit hole, basically, because I was never concerned basically about the politics, but because politics is basically backed by ideologies, you know, because that's what people are using for guiding their decisions and, and even these judges and stuff. That's when I realized, okay, dang. And then, of course, as I got more and more into it, I come to realizing there was a, a gentleman named Larkin Rose. Uh, that This was back during the time when, you're, when Ron Paul was running, too, that identified as an anarchist. And I remember uh, watching one of his videos. It was called, back at the time, it was called The Most Dangerous Superstition. Or no, that was the book. No, the, the, the video was actually, I believe, called... Uh, Something that, uh, that's all right. I, I can't think of it right now, but anyways, the, I should be able to think of it right now. But anyways, when he talked about like the religion of statism, how the state is, is akin to religion and being someone that was born and raised in a, in a religious family, a very Christian family. Oh, oh, I could put all those pieces together because it was literally exactly like I said. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because when you was talking to all those people, like throughout the, the institutions, it was just like trying to talk like to my grandmother or people from the church about, mm -hmm. about God. It's like they, they won't listen to a damn thing you say. They, they believe they know it all. They believe they've got the answers. They believe they're the virtuous. They're, they're, they have the higher morality. All the, and that part was the most disturbed because I, I, 
I wouldn't be overly concerned with just having bad actors or a few bad people that make bad decisions, a few judges. But I firmly do believe that it has become akin, and because religion does seem to have gone to by the wayside in terms of the late 20th century or this early 21st century in terms of Western countries, a lot of people don't go to church as much as they used to, but I guess they've invented their own their own new church, and it's the state. And rather than God punish me in the afterlife, well, they're going to do it now, right? So, so this is the part that I'm really concerned about, and I've seen this kind of authoritarianism. And then understand, obviously, the fact that power has a corrupting nature, you know, just like Lord Acton said. It. Putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, like I say, it's still I still have not finalized the image, but at least I've assembled enough of the pieces now to see that in the, if you look back from the macro perspective, this is a big deal that's not just affecting me. But it's affecting millions and millions of people, not just in this country, but as you know, in the U.S. and, and entire the Western world. And I, like I say, maybe in the developed world, too. I, I don't know. I'm not privy to those places. But I definitely see that it's happened and taken place in, in Western societies where, and to me, it's, it's almost like you're, we're going to end up, if we don't start to correct and, and get back into using more objective, like logic and reason and, and some of those Lightman era values that, uh, you know, that the founding fathers of the U.S. or other people put into place, we're going to be back into mysticism. And if you're constantly ruling based on mysticism and, and abstract impossibilities and just political edicts, then that is another time where, like I say, we're kind of headed for another dark ages. And I don't, I don't want to do that in not in the age of information. Like, come on, this this should not be taking place. And that's another thing that's disturbed for me today: the fact that me and you, I mean, we're, we know we talk about this stuff. There's people like you and I, but look at how little, uh, very few people want to listen to us. <laughs> they want to yeah. they want to play politics. They want to keep every time I get to meet a whole lot of people, they still want to fall back onto the left versus right. Or once again, if I went back into the, my Christian background, it's back to is it the Catholics or the Protestants, right? <laughs> so it's right. Like, anyway, so anything else you want to add? Because I know I kind of rambled on there. For oh, yeah. No problem. That was a very thorough summary of how you got. And like, and I, I mean, I would have... St- I think if I was asking, it would have gone the other direction from why you're talking to, you know, fundamentally the issues that come up, you realize this is a real issue that I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you. Um, You know, that's, that's, that's terrible. And so, yeah, I think you did a very good job of covering it and letting people know not only who you are, but why this is important to you, which is what I wanted to cover in the first half anyways. And, you know, but I, I want to pin or or hone in on what you said about how you talk to so many people and no one seemed to have empathy mm. for you and your situation. That's really what I want to hit on because, you know, as I mentioned, like this show is called the safe space, right? And, and right now the safe space, safe spaces are thought of as like, you know, on a university campus where no one can talk about anything and you have to have a specific view. But, yeah. you know, so far in my experience, you and Tim Moen, who's the leader of the Libertarian Party, you know, it's when the three of us are talking, I feel like I'm in a safe space, no matter what I'm thinking about, no matter what I'm talking about, it's like, the same environment I'd hope to have with my parents, right? Like yeah. I'm, I'm learning, I'm thinking, I'm trying to do the best I can. And I, and I want to talk to other people also trying that, but it seems almost no one can do that. And the more Liberty focused someone is, mm-hmm. the more they seem to be open to an honest conversation and honestly having a safe yeah. space. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. And, you know, cause I really care about, you know, bringing compassion to the liberty movement focusing on compassion and empathy and how it is the same like it does go hand in hand with liberty but most people don't see it that way 
Yeah, actually, that's a major issue that I have even with other libertarians, and I'm not one of those ones. I don't like this cause. I've done it. I, I'll, I'll admit I've guilty, been guilty of it before, and the whole thing with libertarians. But I don't like this constantly have to fight with with other libertarians. But like you say, I do recognize and I do accept that this is a reality that I think a lot of people, and I'm not going to say a particular number, I'm not going to say if it's a majority or minority, but I do believe that a, a, a substantial portion of the people that turn towards libertarianism or even anarchism, if you looked on, look on people on the left, right, the Antiva, they just do it because they want, they want to ha have some kind of group, but they want hedonism or or lack of empathy like like i hear libertarians like everything's just about money 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 sometimes like in terms of economic bottom lines but once again you hear hear very few people talking about like i say compassion or empathy and that's the part like i say i i still i'm still trying to find my tribe here because i i don't know there's like you like yeah and people like you and people like tim and i agree with you tim's another one of those guys and i'm very grateful and, and there's even a few more other than that but they're so tiny and we're so so few in numbers that it's literally i i really at some point, point in time i i feel like is it libertarians that i should be which is why i've been even lately it's like i'm trying to expand my reach to now even to people like i say even some of these people and i and i had a conversation with a young lady uh, uh from black lives matter uh, i believe she's a in, in university in, in ontario and she's like burn the system down but you can see one thing i will recognize with some of the people on the left now she's got some bad ideas like i was saying her don't worry about burning it down build something alongside it and so that people have something to gravitate to you know if you build something alongside that's better than this other structure system and, and you try to make it so that people see that this is a better way to live cohabitate and do things then you don't have to go through a revolutionary process go through all that hell you know and people will automatically just like when, with when I talk to people with a business sense, like if you create a better business model, people are going to gravitate. No force involved, no force needed or necessary. But yeah. I do recognize that some of these people on the left, what it is, is it's the extremes, right? So it seems like the right wingers are all full analytical right? <laughs> and, and, and the lefts are all full of emotion. <laughs> And it's like nobody wants to like find some middle ground where you have to, and what's that's one thing that i've always used to guide me my whole life because i can be very analytical i can be very objective i can and i still prefer that in, in in particular when you're talking about things that are extremely important right you need to have like even with my sons and i'd have to i had to make sure they understood like reality you know and and not fill their head with a tremendous amount of mysticism and stuff but I do understand that there, there's a, a definite place and we humans were given emotions for a reason. And there, there's something that has to be part and parcel. There has to be a balance between, you know, using your logic, your objective brain and all that aspect. But there has to be empathy and compassion because really, um, well, I mean, for, I mean, if we were all objectivists or libertarians, then we might not have to worry about that as much because we kind of understand the concepts, right? And we don't, maybe not, we would, but I don't think it would be even as nice of a place if we all were just libertarians and objectivists because we wouldn't be bothering anyone. We would understand the rules of engagement, but I don't know if we'd be having a whole lot of fun together either, right? So that, that might be a concern. So to me- I think we'd still have lots of fun. Well, okay, but maybe maybe with you and I, maybe you and I, we could. But like I say, I, to me, there does seem to be an area where there has to be, and I think you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there, there has to be some empathy and compassion brought into it because that's that's another thing that emboldens and inspires people. You know, um, listen to just people talk about, you know, like 
factual i mean that that works and, and it's wise and it's prudent and it's definitely something that that counters the misinformation and the propaganda from other people but like i say you got you got to have something that one wants to embolden people and that is and that is something like i say that seems to be missing in what i i guess we all kind of coined the, the liberty movement is uh and I don't know. I don't know what the reason is for it. But I, like I said, I'm just. I am who I am. I, I'm just yeah. a mix mash of a whole bunch of stuff, right? And I just take every little. And I just constantly. It's it's an everyday thing trying to keep myself even balanced in some way. Because some days I can go one extreme to the other too, right? Where I'm being a little bit too emotional, or mm-hmm. another time I'm being a little bit too analytical about things. So I'm. It's a constant daily battle, even for me. So I understand why people have difficult times with it but it is something that i i think is really really important i think that's why i guess religion was important like that was an important part of religion in the in the past too was it you know it taught people to have love and compassion for their fellow man that's so all those great stories contained within the bible i believe that's what it is to give you a sense of, of not just belonging but of compassion for your other your fellow man not just for them to leave you alone but to to give you that compassion so yeah, there's nothing illegal. Like if I see a guy laying in the ditch, there's nothing illegal if I just keep driving. Like I don't have to help the guy, but I think it'd probably be in my best interest and that person's best interest for him in the short run, for me in the long run, hopefully, because he'll maybe want to uh, reciprocate that so, some point in time in the future, or the, the general feeling that I would even get of helping someone out. I'll feel good for the rest of that day, maybe the next few days, but I would rather do that and help that person out because I think that's that's a, an appropriate thing. So I don't want to just be sitting back on the sideline and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing anything against people, but what am I doing to help people? So that's really what it, it comes down to the day. You got to do, so what I do is I don't have money but what I do have is a big mouth <laughs> and, a, and I got a lap or I got a computer, a microphone and a camera and, uh, and a pretty good understanding of things. So I don't have money to give, but what I do have to give is what I can bring in, in videos and all the articles or anything else I've done. So, well, that's, that's just my way of, of paying back and kind of helping other people that have helped me in my past and just trying to pass that on and, and, and like hopefully embolden and inspire other people to do the same. So just kind of lead by example in some way. And so I want to kind of combine two threads there because yep. one, yeah, you do put yourself out there and, you know, I'm wondering what that's like and what, like, I know, but what is that like, especially paired with, it seems that, People like you and I don't get that empathy, right? People, even if we tr- claim we're empathetic, we'll, we'll be told we're lying, right? Like, we'll, like literally. Um, and so, you know, you do put yourself out there and, you know, you, you have a lot more experience in that than I do. And so what is it like to, to be real, to put yourself out there and then be like attacked and crapped on, right? You see celebrities who have breakdowns and stuff. And yeah. so what is it like being in that uh scenario well if i'm honest with you fortunately i i leave that stuff till i'm off the camera but it can be brutal (laughs) there's been many times where i i I just constantly second guess and question myself why the hell am i putting myself through this stuff constantly um it's been just like a non-stop roller coaster ride for the last you know eight nine years in particular and i i just but once again i think the big driver and i've heard other people say this too especially in particular for me i think is my kids even when I think about quitting, it's like, why do I bother? Nobody's even listening to me anymore. 
Um, but I'm leaving something on record for someone to watch maybe at some point in time in the future. And there are a few people who do. And I know my kids respect me for what I do. I know other people respect me for what I do. And like I say, I'm in some way, it's benefiting me too, because I'm bettering myself as a person, right? So so there's there's some selfishness to it. And there's some some leading by example. And the fact, like I say, with my kids, I just... I have to do something. I have something at my disposal that I can do. And if I left it off the table, I would feel, I, I just, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't feel good about myself for the rest of my life. So it's another way that's, like I say, a little bit therapeutic for me because I, I feel that if I do the right thing when it's supposed to be done, no guarantee of success, but by the heck, at least I'll be able to say I, I did it. And I, and like I say, because I do it and I put all my energy in it, I'm going to continue to do it no matter if there's 10 people watching me you know, or 10,000 people. Why? Because those 10 people, I don't know who those 10 people are. There might be one of those 10 people. It might be you know, David, like you, right, that's going to help and make it and take what I do and maybe do that even on a grander scale and maybe take it to people that I never have a chance to reach to. So I just, I just feel like I, I got to keep going, got to keep doing it. And like I say, hopefully it'll it'll pay off dividends in the long run, not just for me, but the rest of the society. Because that's the thing. I, I don't live on an island all by myself. I need to I need to be well adjusted, but I also need at least a portion of the rest of society to be well adjusted as well for me to be able to live peacefully or for my kids to be able to live peacefully. And so what do you say to people who still question your intentions, right? Because like, you know, I think you 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 seem pretty authentic. You you care about this stuff, you care about people, but there's almost, I was joking with a friend, he said he's conservative and kind. And I was like, most people don't even think that's possible. And so especially libertarian, right? It's, yeah. uh, and so like, what do you say to people who, who still like, won't hear the fact that you're a kind person? Uh, well, that's the thing. I really don't get too much of the, I'm unkind. I get the typical insults of you know, if they're left wingers calling me a right winger or a right winger calling me a lefty, like I, I get called communist, socialist, I get all, everything you could think of or or just, but I don't get a whole lot. That's one thing I will say. I don't get too much in terms of the uh, the personal derogatory attacks. Um, so I think, I think even the people that have watched me and maybe don't watch me anymore because, well, what it is is, I'm willing to hold the mirror up to basically anyone. And, and I try to explain to people, maybe I got to get better at doing that is the only reason why I want to hold that mirror up for you is because I recognize that I had to do that for myself. <laughs> I literally had, to, like I say, I was completely ignorant to all this stuff for many years of my life. I, I didn't pay attention to politics and I ran away from religion because my parents, you know, everyone was trying to jam that in down my throat when I was a kid so much. It's like, it, it was a little bit too overwhelming. So I kind of ran away from all that, but I realized that there was, that was the problem with trying to throw the baby with the bathwater, especially in particular with the religion. There were some great things. There were some great core values and, and principles that I learned because of that. So I, I, I feel that just like with everything, just like today, is the, with saying, like, we got to burn it down. No, there's, there's some good things. There's some good things that have happened, you know, to people in all parts of the world. But like I say, I'm going to concern myself with the West because this is where I live. So in particular, Canada, U.S., there's some great people who have done some great things that have helped us, you know, kind of get over some of the past hurdles that humanities have had to encounter. And I just keep thinking, well, well, if they did it, and that's why we have even the slightest semblance of freedom today, well, how in the heck is anyone else going to have it if we don't carry that torch and, and do it again? So 
I'll take the insult. I'll take that stuff because I realize, hey, at least right now, at least currently, you know, I'm not having to don a rucksack. I don't have to put the rifle over my shoulder, right? Uh, right now, I'm just using words. So, you know, of course, I'm going to take full advantage of being able to do this much I can. And the people that think that I'm dishonest or, disgen or disgenuine or sorry, whatever, um, is all I would say, especially that's why I do with, I call myself a Canadian libertarian and why I try to appeal to Canadians in particular. Just, I, I'm not shy. Learn, learn from my background, learn my history. Go ahead, Google me, like whatever you can do to find anything about me. You will actually, matter of fact, the more you do that, the more you will come to realize I am exactly who the hell I, am, I say I am. I'm not, I'm not anyone that's putting on a, a facade. Matter of fact, if I was that good of an actor, I'd probably be down in Hollywood, to be honest with you. It's, right? But no, it's, it's because I think, I think that there's enough of me in my past that I can do what I do, and I don't have the skeletons in the closet that I have to worry about popping out somewhere. So once again, it places me in a position once again where, okay, I've got the tools, I've got the, the ability, I've got a couple skills that seem to be worthwhile. I can't leave them off the table. It's just, it's to me, it's like when I was racing my car. It's like, I got nitrous here, and the guy's passing me. Am I going to use it or not? You're damn right I'm using it, right? So I'm using the, using whatever's at my disposal. And like I say, it's it's been very good for me. And even when there's been bad parts where people kind of turn their backs on me because I held that big mirror up, and that's, like I say, that's more. But what I realized, when I had the mirror held up to me or I held it up to myself, it, I was just as uncomfortable and pissed off as these people are. So I just think in the long term, even if they never come back and talk to me again, even if they never watch another one of my videos again, they're never going to forget what I said. And it's always going to be, it might be something that'll resonate with them. And maybe at some point in time, they will change that. And maybe I'll never know if they've changed themselves because of me. But if it has happened, then, then I'm happy about that. Because once again, that's going to create a better uh, society that I, my kids have to live in. And once again, I'm not even just talking to my kids at this point. They're at, oh, at the age where they're going to have their own kids. So now you got multiple generations of people that I really got to concern myself with. Yeah, well, I mean, I really appreciate that. And I think that's really powerful. So thank you. I, I want to end with one more question sure. on, you know, for any of your viewers or my viewers who are thinking about entering the public sphere, because that's really what I'm trying to encourage as many of my peers to do as possible, to yeah. become people like us. What advice do you have for them in terms of why they should do it or, you know, because a lot of them are concerned, right? They're, they're concerned about the ecosystem that exists, especially on social media and stuff. So, yeah, what do you say to me and to others like me who want to now enter this, let's call it a fray, even though it shouldn't be one? Right. Well, to me, the big thing I think that stands out for me and for anyone, I would say is just don't sit on the sidelines to the point where you wait till it's too late. Because I do believe that, that the people who are and are watching this unfold, now, I'm not saying that everyone has to be as active or engaged as I am, and everyone should gauge their own ways, but you should at least be trying to put some effort into, you know, doing what's right for yourself in your place and helping to, and helping to expand these concepts, these ideas in terms of liberty in your own little sphere. If you don't want to step outside and get on the public stage or whatever, but just do it as best you can in your own public sphere, because I'm telling you, you're going to live with a life of regret if you're that person that's constantly going to sit in the sidelines because everyone right now that like i say you can't know when you know when the, the 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 major event that might take place like i mean covid was pretty close i mean we went into lockdown a lot of people lost their jobs i mean for some people this was an event that, that's going to have a profound effect not just for you know the last few months but for the rest of their lives and i'm sure some of them probably thought you know maybe i should have been doing stuff long ago before now 
And, and maybe if there were more of us standing up for ourselves, then we wouldn't have all these mandates and restrictions and lockdowns. So maybe some of those people were already starting to think about that. And like I say, I just, if you're the kind of person that cares about your, your freedoms or liberties, even in the slightest, it, the time is now to do what you have to do. Because if you don't do it now, you are going to live with some kind of regret, I believe. Uh, the people that won't live with regret, well, these are sociopaths, or these are people that live for nothing except, I don't know, selfish guilt, selfish guilty pleasures or something. And, and, and if that's them, then fine. But like I say, I think that makes you a, an empty vessel as, as a person if you don't choose to do anything that's outside of selfish pleasures. I enjoy selfish pleasures as much as anyone, but there has to be other areas that cause real meaning in my life. Those selfish pleasures, the pleasures subside really quick right? They're, they're done and over with. Like even when I'm ripping out on my machine, my ATV or whatever, it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun in the moment, but boy, it was having those two children. It was having those, uh, um, that amazing relationship with my wife. It's, it's all these, the, the friends that I've met, um, the things that I've done to help other people and people have done to help me. It's all of those things that have given me a real sense of meaning in my life and makes my life worthwhile. So that to me is, is what I think people need. And especially a lot of people, I do think they have that void and they feel that there's something missing in their life. And I believe that's what it is, is maybe perhaps you're sitting a little bit too much on the sidelines and maybe you should become a little bit more engaged or active and be a little bit more brave and bold. Like I say, because if you've done so, and once you get over that initial hurdle, because for me, let me tell you, <laughs> the first few times I was on camera, it was the most uncomfortable thing I think I've ever done. I just was, I just was not comfortable yeah. at all. I knew, I knew as a, someone watching on, I was like, this has got to be like a, watching a slow motion train wreck, right? But once I get over, I realized not only did I make it, but dang, it, it emboldened me. It's like, yeah, so if I can do that, well, perhaps I can do even more. And, and like I say, every step that I've challenged myself and I've managed to raise to each level and, and, and accept that challenge and perform it at least somewhat decently, it's, like I say, it's made me a better person. It gives me more, it inspires me. It gives me more uh, self-confidence. And once again, that pays off dividends all on its own, but it's also had a reciprocal effect of how many other people I've helped and have helped me. So I, I, I think not only will it benefit you as a person, it'll benefit, you know, anyone else that's around you or hears from you or sees from sees you as well. Great. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And I hope that, you know, inspires some of the people who I'm talking to who are on the fence that really they, they, this is a moment in history, especially like this is a turning point, I think. And, and if we want not just if you know whether or not they're explicitly pro-liberty or not if they think their views whatever they are aren't well reflected mm -hmm. no one's going to change the no one's going to change the setting other than them and, and so they need yeah. to take that step forward but yeah. so i really appreciate you coming on this was awesome i hope i can have you on again sometime soon and we can get more into you know now that now that i know and, and my audience knows a bit more about you we can get into other topics and stuff as well yeah, for sure. I really enjoy that, David, because I, I really enjoy having a conversation with you. You're, you're a wise gentleman, and uh, you definitely have the right understanding in terms of the philosophy and objectivism and libertarianism. And I like watching you and, and Dave, you, or Tim. You guys work really well together, so like kudos to both of you and for everything that you've done. And yeah, I can, I'll be on your show anytime you want, man. Perfect. Thanks so much. Not a problem. Have a good one. You too.